Before we begin today's episode, I'd love to share a new review of the podcast with you all. This one comes in from Ishi81 via Apple Podcasts in Australia, and they say, I've listened to a few of the podcasts, absolutely love them. They can be confronting, but exceptionally insightful. Highly recommend. And they've given me five stars, which is super wonderful. Thank you so much, Ishi81, for taking the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It truly, truly helps so much. Another way you can help is to share this with a friend. If you have a friend who you think would take a lot of insight away from my podcast or even one specific episode in particular, please share it with them or share it on your Instagram stories. However you can, getting that out there really, really helps. Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Irisanya Moon. She is an author, witch, priestess, and teacher in the reclaiming tradition, and she teaches all around the world. Irisanya has written and published four books, including the Pagan Portals book, Iris, Goddess of the Rainbow and Messenger of the Gods, which we'll be talking about today. She is a devotee of Aphrodite, Hecate, the Norms and Iris. Irisanya is passionate about the idea that life is a love spell, a dance of desire and connection, a moving in and out of the heart, always returning to love. I'm so looking forward to sharing their work and wisdom with you today. So let's get into it. They are joining us via Zoom all the way from California. Hey, Irisanya, welcome to the show. Hello. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited. And it's so great to have you here. Now, do you want to start by telling us a little bit more about the witchy work that you do in the world? Yeah, it's always interesting too when people ask that. I'm like, oh, should I have a brand or something? I just sort of float, I could sort of float about. Uh, I think that makes sense with working with Iris. Maybe I have wings too. What I do in the world, at least in this particular moment, because it's ever evolving, um, like you said, author, witch, priestess, teacher, all that stuff, my work is really kind of multifaceted. So I write a lot of books on deities. I've written about my tradition and reclaiming. Uh, I've also written about self-care and sort of taking care of this beautiful vessel that we are. Um, So those are the things that I'm most interested in those sort of subjects and writing is one way to connect with a bigger audience and to connect with folks who can't get to California. I also love to teach. And right now I teach, like you said, all around the world. And thankfully that's starting to happen again. I'm going to be doing a bit more of that. So I teach a lot of reclaiming classes, um, a lot of core classes and things like that are our tradition. But I also teach things like on Aphrodite, on Iris. I also have taught at witch camps around the world. So I've actually taught in Australia. Uh, I have taught in the UK and also in Canada and North America. Um, I feel like there's probably another place that I've forgotten, but oh well. So teaching, writing, also planning and facilitating rituals, which has not been as much of a thing in the last couple of years. However, Zoom has been beautiful and that has happened a bit. I'm kind of backing away from that for a hot minute because I'm ready to be back in person and Zoom 
while lovely and a delightful access point. I'm ready to be in person also. So, so I think that, yeah, writing, teaching, priestessing, causing trouble probably a little bit. I love all of that. Now, some of my guests, and you've allowed me to today as well, allow me to look at their birth chart. And I want to bring up just quickly based on what you were just saying as well. Uh, mm -hmm. When I took a squidridig at your birth chart, which have you ever had someone do a reading for you before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure you're aware of this, but you, you are a rising Gemini. And yep. that is very much associated with writing, sharing a message, teaching and generally they love you know being in an atmosphere I find atmosphere is really important so having lots of people around you or doing lots of variable or different things like if you're doing the same thing every day you're going to be like totally not not for me can't do that <laughs> has to be very true to that mm -hmm. <laughs> and often you know they'll have things like teaching classes or taking classes or just being in like that social group because mm -hmm. Gemini rules over the third house of social networking, where we're literally connecting with other people. So it's beautiful to see you doing that so much in your life. And your rising sign is what you're here to do. It's your role that you're here to play. and You're here to share a message. So that's fantastic to watch that play out. I love seeing someone's chart and then hearing them talk about themselves. I'm like, oh, you're so like aligned. It's so great. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm so Gemini moon, Gemini rising. So mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that Gemini moon is in the first house as well, which can be a little bit tricky because sometimes that translates as being very aware of how other people feel about you and feeling very strongly about how other people feel about you, which can be, can be a self-conscious thing for some people. Depends where you're at in your journey as well. Absolutely. I think that however many years old I am has helped. So <laughs> yes, it generally does. Um, and I think it also helps depending on where you are with your Saturn return. Sometimes those sorts of lessons can come up uh, with that. So once you're past it, which for those listening, pretty much by the time you're 30, you've, you've gone through your Saturn return. It can linger a little bit as well. Uh, but usually you've worked through some bigger issues. And that's why most people in their 30s are like, you know what, 30 is actually pretty amazing. I'm loving this area. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the next decade over. So yeah, <laughs> I loved my thirties. Thirties <laughs> are fun. I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm, I'm loving the thirties. They're great. Um, now, did you also know you were born during a Jupiter retrograde? I may have known that, but I am a, so me and astrology get along really well, except for it sort of comes in. I'm like, that's so interesting. And then it just sort of flits out. So somebody may have told me that. Yeah. Well, it, it's sometimes, and again, it depends on where your journey is as well. But what I find with people who have a Jupiter retrograde and Jupiter is the planet of joy and luck and abundance. And sometimes for this placement being retrograde, it can make it difficult to logically work out the things that bring you joy, excitement or abundance. Right. So I often say, instead of logically figuring it out or trying to be all rational about, Hey, I like this thing. This is what I should do. Or that, you know, choosing a path forward, you're not going to make logical choices. You need to base it on how you intuitively feel and following what lights you up and following your gut instinct on that. So moving out of your head and into your body when picking your path forward. Does that resonate? That is so right on. <laughs> None of this has been a plan. This yep. has all been a like, Ooh, that sounds nice. Ooh, I have this opportunity. Ooh, this. Did I think I was going to write a bunch of books? Nope. But somehow I stumbled into it. 
I mean, I've always been a writer. That's true. But uh, I sort of stumbled into moon books and writing all of this and Mm -hmm. that really resonates. I love that. It's beautiful. And, you know, people look in their chart sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. when they're starting out with astrology, they're like, oh no, I have something retrograde in my chart and they see it as a negative. And I'm like, no, no, no. We just need to look at how to work with that. Right. It might mean that you just do things slightly different to other people. So they can be a beautiful section of your chart as well. Well, it's like that thing where, you know, Mercury retrograde comes up and everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of folks get really nervous Mm -hmm. and really start to, I don't know, get really upset with Mercury, which I don't think is a wise move in that. But I also think, shouldn't we always be acting as though Mercury's in retrograde? I mean, Mercury Mercury is the trickster. So (laughs) I mean, shouldn't we always be looking at our communication and sort of going, "Hmm, can I be clearer? Yes, absolutely. Definitely. And I do often say that Mercury retrograde, when it happens, it's sometimes a blessing in disguise. And I often give an example. I very vividly remember one day I was, it was right in the middle of a Mercury retrograde and being me, I should have known better, but I didn't um, because we, you know, get carried away with life. And I wanted to create a new page on my website, which was my support page. So if, you know, people wanted to leave reviews or if they wanted to financially support whatever they wanted to do or collaborate. And so I wrote this beautiful page and then for some reason it wouldn't save would not save. So I'm clicking save and I'm like, oh my goodness, the page froze. I couldn't even, you know, copy it and paste it somewhere else so that I wouldn't lose it all. And then I ended up having to turn the whole computer off and on again. I tried again, wrote the entire thing again, and the exact same thing happened and I lost it. And I was like, oh my goodness. I got so frustrated. I just like stomped out of my room. I was like, ah, I'll just leave it. I'll wait three weeks until we're past like retrograde in the shadow period and try again. So I did, I waited, I actually think I waited about a month, went back Mm -hmm. and redid that whole page. And it was so much better than how I'd originally planned it, Mm -hmm. the way I'd originally written it. It just, I needed that cooling off period to think about it and to reflect on what I'd written and the way I'd presented it. And it came Mm -hmm. out so much better. I was like, oh, thank you, Mercury Retrograde. You did me a favor. You were helping out. Absolutely. It is quite a helper. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Now with this episode, when I invited you on, I actually toyed with the idea of (laughs) making it just about like deity work or Mm -hmm. goddess work or just about the goddess Iris. And because I've I've read your beautiful book, which is um, all about her. But then I thought, why not all three? (laughs) So we're going to talk all three today. And I wanted to start with deity work. So for those out there who are listening and who want to work with a deity or many deities, can you give us some hints on how they can get started with this? So one of the things that I think um, folks coming to witchcraft, paganism, spirituality, however the heck you define this or label it, is they think about deity work as being this like, I don't know, like overly, not overly important, but just really serious. And so I like to break it down and say, okay, if you want to work with deities, that's fantastic. How do you work with relationships in your life? That's really like, we already have a a template for this. We already have a template of like, how do you get to know somebody? You maybe Google them. (laughs) I mean, I think these days, uh, but Deity work really starts about is a relationship. So how do you get to know somebody? How do you get to know their stories? How do you sit with them and listen to them? So really, this is 
That's the small step in. It's not the, how do I give myself over to this deity? How do I give over my life and my decisions and my power and all that stuff? Because that's what that means. That is not what that means. (laughs) Not to me, at least. I think there is this weird um, patriarchal Christian thing where it's like when there's a deity, thus I have to be in supplication. And I am in relationship. I am in communion, not supplication. So if people want to get into deity work, who do you want to work with? I mean, it's like any relationship, that person over there, they're cute. I want to talk to them, you know, or they have something that I think is really interesting. I'd like to know more. So start there, start small, start with what is calling to you and follow that until it doesn't call to you anymore. And that can look like, you know, reading books on TVs. It can look like Googling. It can look like setting up an altar, like a picture or a statue, but creating space in your life to develop a relationship. That can be five minutes. That can be an hour. That can be only on Saturday. That's fine. But that I think is the best beginning point and recognize that just like any relationship, not all of them work out. So, but you don't know until you start it. And they all have something to teach us as well. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) That is a whole many hours conversation. Yes. (laughs) And are there any do's and don'ts when working with deities? So that's a, I think it's so, a lot of folks ask me this. So here's what I would offer. Do be honest about what you can bring to this relationship. Like, it sounds like a really big thing to say, but are you in this just to like collect deities and to get to know a bunch of them? Are you in it to like really build a strong relationship? So do kind of figure out what your why is. And it's okay if it's just like a, I don't want to say one night stand, but possibly with a deity, um, that's okay. But do try to figure out why first of all, because that's going to help you understand how. Like I said before, try to get to know them. What are their stories? What have people, what have others experienced with them? What can you glean from stories told about them or original texts, if there are any, things like that. And when I say original text, I also like to bring in, do think about the context of the time in which these things were written. Do consider who was the translator. Do consider um, if it is another white guy in versus a female versus, um, yeah. Uh, People that have political motivations, that sort of thing. Who, who's telling the story? When was it told? What was society like at that time? Yes, the cultural norms at the time, that can, that can bring a lot to us. Similar when people are reading something like the Bible, which and you can work with the Christian deity of God and Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. But the context of when it was written and who translated it, very different to reading it literally. Ooh, yeah. So it's, it, but it's like getting to know somebody. Like we heard stories about so-and-so from so-and-so consider the source. And so those are some of the do's, but really when, when folks ask me about 
you know, how do I work with deity? What feels good to you? You know, I mean, I, what feels good? Do you want to create a whole room to them? I don't know. If that feels good to you. Go for that. But in terms of don'ts, I hate to tell people how to have a relationship, <laughs> but I'm going to. So I would say you don't have to be in a relationship with a deity. I think some people feel like that that's like, you have to do that. Like at some point I need to create some connection and you don't have to. I mean, there are just as many folks who connect just as easily with trees, just as easily with the ocean without having to work with a deity. I would also, so this is my personal thing that I'm going to say, and I will say it's just for me. Don't worry so much of a deity from a different tradition um, than your blood calls to you. I think people freak out. And I, I think- I agree. I've, I've seen people freak out, um, especially in my DMs and they come into me, they're like, Am I, is this wrong? Is this bad? Uh, all of that sort of thing. And when it comes to things like the hot topics of cultural appropriation and misappropriation and that sort of thing, I think there's a big difference between having something that is, I guess, a closed practice, right? That's slightly different. Um, but then there's a big difference as well as teaching something. So if you're teaching people how to get into a relationship with a deity from something that's not your background or your expertise, that's where it gets a bit iffy. I agree. One of the things that I think really impacted me when I was starting to, I guess, pay more attention to the way I worked with deities was I was listening to somebody who was on a panel at a, at a conference called Pantheaton mm -hmm. um, that used to be in San Jose, California. And somebody said, you know, the gods call who they call. And you can choose to listen or not. And that is still sacred because my take on this is that if a God calls to you and you develop that relationship and you really sit with them and try to understand like why this is happening and what works for you and how you can show up, I believe that that is a really natural way to transition into finding someone of that culture to say, hey, I have sat and worked with this being can you help me? Like, can we sit together and figure out what, why this is going on for me? And I think that's a way more, I don't want to say pure, it's a way more stronger um, connection or relationship to build. And I think it's more authentic. Mm -hmm. I think it's more reverent because um, you're not stepping into another culture saying, well, I learned all this stuff and now I want to, I want to take something from that. No, it's, I have actually spent the time mm -hmm. and maybe I need to spend more time. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, yeah. So that's how I feel about that. I think people like, it's okay to sit with a deity in your personal practice. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this is not, I read a book on blank and now I'm going to teach all this stuff and I'm going to charge money for it. And no, stop, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> um, yeah. But like God's call who they call, you don't have to answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other thing that I would say in terms of a don't like any relationship, they take time. 
And there's going to be like, so don't expect it to be like this immediate big thing. And it may never become that to be fair. Uh, I, I Maybe the better way to say this is don't have a lot of expectations. <laughs> like, go in arriving and finding out what's going to happen and enjoy it for that because not all deities stay with you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. at least not in my experience. So that leads into my next question, which was going to be, is it uh, something that you do for life for a season or can you call on a deity just for one ritual, for example? Yes, yes, yes. And yes. I, <laughs> I personally believe like I really use the template of relationships and the relationships I've had in my life. I have met some people and it's been this amazing experience for about a day. And then I maybe see them again on the street and think, oh, that was really great. And then there are other folks that I took the time to really get to know and to cultivate and to go through crappy times and to, you know, really build a solid foundation for something that might last. I don't know if a lifetime is true, but a long time. And then there are some gods that I work with that I know I will work with for my entire life. I am aware that I will. I have made that dedication, but that also means that there's probably going to be times where it's super intense and sometimes standoffish because that's just the way I go. That's the way they go. So I say relationships wax and wane. Why not relationships with gods? You don't have to commit yourself and offer a sacrifice or anything like that um, unless you want to. I, I love that. Coming from my background, which, if you don't know, was very strict Pentecostal evangelical Christianity, <laughs> and uh, yeah, being being baptized at the age of five, then again at the age of eight. <laughs> so, for me, my relationship with deities was it is for life, and that is it. And you have to do everything by them and worship them and honor. Like it was very, very serious. And mm-hmm. I would argue that that particular God, the Christian God is very serious <laughs> um, in terms of how you would work with them if you want to. But I think coming out of that deconstructing and then having to come to, I guess, an okay point of being in terms of working with other deities, that was so, so, so tough. And it was tough not only because, you know, first commandment, thou shalt have no, no other gods before me, right? Mm-hmm. That was hard to get past. And then the second one was, are they real? Is that actually a real thing? And it took a few experiences for that to actually feel real to me personally. Sure. And then a lot more deconstruction to, you know, come to terms with different ways. And I love that you describe it as a relationship and that it's okay to sort of have an ebb and flow. And, you know, you might have some relationships in your life. Like, for example, my husband, I would say that I'm, you know, in this for life with him, right? That's the goal. But then there's other people where I've had, as you've said, you know, a work colleague, right? Or um, someone that you trans- do a transactional style relationship with where they maybe provide a service or a product. So maybe if you're doing a ritual, I might call on a specific God. I'll give them an offering, which is like payment for that transaction for something in return. So I love that view. I think that view is really helpful for people with religious trauma as well. So thank you very much for sharing it. And I want to, I would, can I add just one little thing? Of course, go. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I think is super important in all of this is that um, at least this is my lens. So I like to say this to folks in case it's coming through and it's influencing what I'm saying. I believe that we're divine. I think that there isn't for me a separation. 
there is, I believe that the gods definitely know more than I do. That's fair, but I'm not, I don't do the pedestal thing. Um, I think that the, the biggest failing, um, well, maybe not the biggest, there's a whole bunch of failings in Christianity. But what I would say is that it, it consistently tells you that you are separate from divine. And I think that because I can relate to deities in relationship, it takes away that separation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big thing to deconstruct, that we are somehow less than or somehow away from. Um, and so when it's relationship, it is reciprocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That was one of the key moments, I guess, that distinction uh, when I read the Kybalion, mm-hmm. which was very early on in my witchy practice. And that idea of being a part of source energy, basically, and part of divinity, that was a huge hurdle I had to get through, but also a really great awakening moment for the rest of my craft. So if anyone hasn't read it, that book does have its issues, but it is also really useful at the same time. A book can both be good and bad. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if it, I think so many books have pushed me in certain directions, even though later on I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoops, shouldn't have read that, but <laughs> it got me into the right direction. So good yeah. deal. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of reading books very critically and you know there's a there's a book uh, called The Witch's Path by Thorn Mooney and in it she (laughs) says uh, I think she says a book can have what does she say a book can have a a bad reader can write a a bad author can write a good book and a good Mm -hmm. author can write a bad book and you're not going to become problematic by reading a problematic book Mm-mm. right that's sort of I've paraphrased it's not the exact oh, quote <laughs> I love it but Thanks I did do I did do a book review on her book as well which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I put the actual quote in there however mm-hmm. that sort of a, an idea is kind of what I go into with reading mm-hmm. books and things I get a lot sent to me and yeah. I think they're all worth a read they can all teach us something mm-hmm. they can all even if we don't agree with it it's teaching us what we don't agree with right Exactly. It is the whole, you know, critical thinking and thinking about what's true for you, because my truth is likely different from yours. So. Agreed. Absolutely. And I did just write, and we're filming this, we're recording this in uh, mid-April. I did just write my very first critical book review, uh, which was really difficult to do. It was, it was really hard, uh, but and it's not something I, I plan to do often either. I generally only put out reviews on books that I really like. Mm-hmm. However, that book mm-hmm. had some bigger issues that I was like, people have seen me reading this because I'll share on my story like, oh, this is my current reading list or my to be read, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, please don't take that as an endorsement of that book, particular book because there are some big, big, big red flags here. So I thought yeah. this is going to, I need to put this out there for my audience so that they understand that point of view, how I got there. Why is yeah. all of that? Very wise to do that. Yeah. I thankfully am so slow at reading books that sometimes people become problematic between when I have bought it and I haven't read it yet. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Good deal. Uh, <laughs> that happened I, to me the other day. I was like, oh. <laughs> I feel the opposite. I've constantly got like multiple books on a go. I'll usually read. I think your book, because I, I would probably read a chapter a night. So, mm-hmm. and it's not super long. So I got through that pretty quickly. Um, but usually about a week for a sort of normal mid-sized 
pagan witchy book, I guess, in the normal length, mm-hmm. um, except for Astria Taylor's Intuitive Witchcraft. That was mm-hmm. so much, it was unexpectedly yeah. full of so much stuff. Like I was like, this book is not a quick read. It is. She packs it in. Full of knowledge. And oh my goodness. It was mm-hmm. great. Yep. I digress. I had another question to ask. In the intro, I explained that you work with Aphrodite and Hecate and the Norms and Iris. And I wanted to know, do you only work with goddesses or have you also worked with gods? Yeah. I, so it's one of those things where I don't think I've ever consciously not worked with gods and the male woo of that. Um, it, it, I just don't. <laughs> So I I have worked with a few and kind of on and off, but they also, I noticed they tend to be sort of gender (laughs) non-conforming or like gender fluid. So take that for what it is. So I've worked with Odin and I've worked with the blue god of the star goddess um, story, creation myth. And I've also studied fairy. So some of those gods are male-ish and it's not a... It's just a, a lot of these folks called to me. So I don't know if a God came knocking, I wouldn't knock it. I didn't say that well. On <laughs> <laughs> the pun, maybe? <laughs> that was unintentional. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of them being, I guess, gender non-binary, you use a term in your book, which is gods, G-O-D-D-S, yes. which is a non-binary term for the gods and I love that I think that is excellent and I hope we see more of that did you come up with that yourself is it something you've seen elsewhere I wish I could say that I did I did not um what I will say it frustrates my publisher to no end I love using it I have to explain it every time um but uh, a friend of mine a beloved like a dear like one of my initiators actually used it um, and I think that she either used it on a social media post where she's been writing a novel for a really long time. And I think it was in there. And I was like, oh, that just makes way more sense to me. Um, and so I just started using it. Urania. Thanks, Urania. And the only trick with it is, is that when you say it, it doesn't sound any different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And I think that it's just like calling attention to that as much as possible. I think it's just something that sits well with me because I really don't think of deities in terms of gender, Mm -hmm. but yet I know that I see them certain ways in appearances that are most often likely female, whatever that means today in society. So Mm -hmm. my small little way of remembering that maybe iris is more than just a gender i like mystery yeah but i I enjoyed seeing that in your book i thought it was great uh so regardless of saying it differently but i think the spelling and the inclusivity that comes through with that is really good and it's very important as well Mm -hmm. more of that more of that expand the conversation Yes, absolutely. So, and I just alluded to the Greeks as well, um, <laughs> which are a pantheon, right? Greek huh? pantheon. Uh, mm-hmm. So can you tell everyone what is a pantheon? So a pantheon, according to one definition that I saw online, was like the, a group or like the, the main important figures of a religion of a certain group of people. So another definition that I've seen in the past is a group of important people. 
<laughs> so for the Greeks, all the Greek gods, um, various, you know, that's the pantheon in Christianity, Jesus and all the folks. So pantheon, uh, I think it's a very fascinating way to uh, classify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like who's important? <laughs> so speaking of Iris, um, you know, she's a minor, like she's not really, but she's important. So mm -hmm. is she in the pantheon? Does it just refer to then all of the divine aspects of that people and culture? It actually, it's kind of vague. It just sort of says important. And so <laughs> I, I could go into like a little, a little uh, tangent here, but it's sort of like in, so in Norse mythology, there are a lot of beings who you might say are in that pantheon, but not all of them are considered gods. Mm -hmm. So for example, the Norns. Not really, but I would put them in the, in the pantheon because they, you know, spend time. That seems important. Are the norms similar to the Furies? Hmm. There's a lot of conflation amongst things. So I haven't I worked with so. either and I'm no. new to the whole deity space. So I'm sorry. That was oh, like, yeah. no, no, question. no, no. Uh, <laughs> There's so there's such a thing like oh, the Norns and the Muses and the Furies and the uh, the fight oh, the other one, Muria, I can't remember. There's like a whole bunch of things. The Fates. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a big conflator. I'm sure that there are ways that they are similar. Mm -hmm. I'm not a conflator. So for me, I work with the well, have been delving into. Uh, dipping my toe, dabbling in the Egyptian pantheon. Nice. Mm -hmm. But that is my first, as I said, I'm I'm still working through that. This is not my area of expertise. <laughs> so I've been, I've been working with uh, the god Thoth for mm -hmm. about a year now. I think it's been about a year almost. Mm -hmm. And it's been very interesting and very intriguing. And like you said, having statues, I have a statue on my altar behind me. If you're watching mm -hmm. this on video, you can see that. It sometimes pops up in my Instagram stories and feed and things like that as well. But it's been very fascinating. And I did feel that he was calling to me based on quite a few signs. Do you think that is a really common thing to see physical signs out in in our world around us when a god is wanting to work with us i would say that it's been my experience i don't know if it's always a shared experience i've heard of folks who have had you know being called in dreams mm -hmm. being called um, because they heard the name a whole bunch um i feel like that that was you know, when i hear you talk about the egyptian gods I think of um have you I'm imagining that you read Book of Shadows by Phyllis Karat I you know what I have that book it is literally right behind this laptop and it is on my like as soon as I finish The Witch's Name by Storm Fairy Wolf that is my next book that I'm reading oh my gosh I just thought of you and that because that actually talks about her calling towards the gods and so interesting might be perfect so. you know I purchased that book or I was recommended that book when I first began working with Thoth and I think mm -hmm. I purchased it um, just after really like accepting that side of things so that might be another little sign just for me personally as well I just that just sang in my ear when you said that so All right. I've really got I've really got to open up that book <laughs> 
I just want, now I want to read it again. <laughs> the book was like so formative for me. It was one of the first books that I read and I was like, oh, it's like real people doing this. Yeah. So, like, it was, it was oh. recommended to me through Jason Mankey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was like, you have to read this book. You will love it. I need you to read that book. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> So that's good to know. I had to, it was hard to find because I had to get a secondhand copy. It's not super new. It's a bit older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was, that was fun to find though, I think. Good. Mm. Yeah. Well, the gods call the way they call. That's the yeah. way I, you know, mine were very insistent. So. Mm -hmm. Well, with Thoth, I found, and I think it's prudent to, to share as well, just so some people yeah. can see some examples. Uh, and I love this story. I think it's a great story. So I had already been, originally when I got into Tarot, right, I'd always looked at the, the Thoth deck, right, by mm -hmm. Alistair Crowley, and I was almost like repulsed by it. And I think that might have been my ideas on Alistair Crowley. It might have been the imagery, whatever it was, the energy mm -hmm. didn't sit right with me, right? And I was just like, nope, not for me. Mm -hmm. And then a bit over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I started looking at it going, oh, why does that suddenly look so interesting? Why do I want to read that? I want to get maybe, no, no, I'm not going to do that to myself, but maybe. And I started, you know, when you go into a shop and you pick it up and you look at it, no, oh, not right now, but I could feel that energy shift. Suddenly it was interesting, intriguing, appealing. I wanted to know more. I was like, well, that's interesting. Just sip, sip And then I had a few, a few dreams that were very underworld in nature, um, very mystical. It was very confusing. I actually had to call a friend who's a fellow practitioner and be like, I didn't talk about this with someone because there's some weird stuff going on here. And so they gave me some confirmations around that. And then I ended up having a bit of a entity issue. I don't know if entity is the right word, an attachment mm -hmm. um, where I had to do some energy work to remove that. So I do something that I, I term it psychic surgery. I don't know if it's the right term, mm -hmm. um, but I basically... I noticed something was up. I was having some nightmares. I was having migraines. These are not always the signs. Sometimes it's mundane, but for me, I'm like, something's up. And mm -hmm. my husband started having migraines as well. It like were headaches and nightmares in when we slept, you know, when we slept in bed. I thought, okay, so it's not just affecting me. There's something going on. So I did a big house cleanse and then went into like a meditative state saw myself standing outside my body, looking down on my body and did like a body scan. And I could see something like suctioned onto the back of my neck. Like it looked like a wriggly black worm, similar to like the Studio Ghibli movies, like in Spirited Away, if anyone's seen that, it's just like wriggly black wormy things. It was like that or in Howl's Moving Castle, like that inky black. And it was stuck to the back of my neck. So I went in and you know, physically removed this and imagined myself burying it in my backyard. Um, and basically with the intention of mother earth will recycle this or put it back where it needs to go. Right. doesn't need to be on me. It's not mm -hmm. it felt a little bit parasitic. So I did that and imagine putting almost like cardboard on top of it and a big brick, right. It's going to stay there underground, came out of my meditation, sat up. I was on my couch in my living room and just happened to be facing towards my backyard. And I look in my backyard and there is a sacred ibis standing on the exact spot where and I'm still, I still get shivers every time I say this story, this sacred ibis standing on the exact spot. I had just, you know, mentally buried this thing. Hmm. And I think I sat there for a good five minutes, just going, that's weird. That's suspicious. 
why a why is there a sacred ibis in my backyard that's unusual Mm -hmm. I've never seen that before (laughs) b I feel like this is important Mm -hmm. and so of course then I I went and just said sacred ibis sign Mm -hmm. question mark Mm -hmm. google and it came up saying the god thoth is you know has the head of an ibis Mm -hmm. I was like huh what does he do because then obviously the the thoth tarot deck started like showing up in my memories of like, remember this thing that's been popping out? And I was like, this is intriguing. Google mm-hmm. some more. And he not only rules over the tarot, he rules mm-hmm. over, uh, he was the, said to be the creator of the alphabet or hieroglyphics at least and writing. And he's known as a scribe. And at the time, this is when I'd written my first book and was seeking publication, mm-hmm. um, querying, which was still not a fun experience. <laughs> and so I'm writing. I, I work with the tarot. He's meant to be the god of tarot, of magic, and he works in the underworld as well. Mm-hmm. And all of these things just sort of made sense. They all just mm-hmm. crashed together in this big explosion of, oh, wow, I think I think this is a thing. And so, you know, I, I did some divination on it, um, you know, worked that way to make sure first, then went and bought my my deck Thoth straight away. Mm. One of my Patreon supporters was like, Hey, I have the book of Thoth, which is a book about working with mm-hmm. that tarot deck by Alistair Crowley. Let me send it to you. And she just sent it my way. And I was like, Oh, how beautiful. And again, another sign, I think when those sorts of things mm. just happen mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's been sort of growing ever since I bought a little statue. I've done some, I often do my black mirror scrying to connect mm-hmm. with him, and I find that energy sits really well. So that's my own personal little beauty story of my first dabblings oh, I love it. as an ex-Christian. <laughs> I love it. I think that's, I mean, it's just so, I love stories like that because I think that, I think even as you like go on, or at least as I've gone on with some of these and moving forward from my own stories and that, that I actually look back and find even more things. Mm-hmm. So I'm, that'll be interesting to uncover. Yes. Like, yes. Hmm? Absolutely. No, it's very fascinating. So with Pantheon, so obviously I'm working with the Egyptian Pantheon currently. Um, Can you mix Pantheons? Could I then decide to work with Iris? I mean, I'm presuming from yours that you do and you agree with this. So personally, heck yeah. Um, So here's what I would say is that Pantheons are also groups of people who are familiar people, you know what I mean? Energies, deities, all the things that are familiar with each other. So not all groups of friends get along. When you mix different groups of friends, it might seem like a really good idea because they all have you in common. They don't always play well together. I don't, it's not that I think that that can't work, but there are certain things that might not work as well. So I personally in my own work might call different deities that I work with across pantheons, but in a public ritual, I probably wouldn't Mm -hmm. unless there was a really specific reason. Um, I think intention, intention, yada, yada. If there's an intention that's really strong for that, I think that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, not everybody gets along. Um, And I would say that I don't want to like give an example because that might not be true in your experience and in your space, that might not be true. Um, But I'm pretty clear that my deities all get their own little spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, since most of them are Greek, 
that's okay. The Norns are kind of everywhere all the time. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't feel like that's a bother. Mm-hmm. But I know that some folks are like, oh, you know, don't bring Loki to the party or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, can you? Sure. I say, why not? And honestly, most of the things in witchcraft are give it a try and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work, don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And- That's definitely been my personal thing. Like I have people coming to me for you know spell work advice. I'm like, all right, do it, try it. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. That's how you figure it out. Like pretty much. You have to remember that all this stuff started with somebody doing the exact same thing. So mm-hmm. experimental witchcraft, it's the way to go. Pretty much. <laughs> You're probably not going to do any significant harm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So with your newest book, which is Iris, um, it's part of the Pagan Portals umbrella, which I I love Pagan Portals. And if anyone listening isn't familiar with them, they're usually like they're shorter books, around about 100 pages, give or take, which makes them an excellent intro into a specific topic. Short, to the point, easy to read. I haven't yet read one that I didn't enjoy. And this is your third Pagan Portals book. So what what is it about them that you enjoy this style of writing? So one of the things that I really want to, in my witchcraft, to help folks, help readers, help seekers um, with is giving them enough information to then go off and do what they will with it. And I don't like to give people uh, a whole bunch of instruction. I like to give folks a lot of little details and then you figure out what to do with it. So with the pagan portals, kind of what I get to do. I get to give you just enough to figure out if that's something you want to pursue further. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody wants to dedicate their life to Aphrodite or Iris. So learn, you know, as much as you want. You pick out a little thing here and there. And then again, then you can find bigger books. You can't find one on Iris. Like there just isn't. So this is the first, one of the first books uh, on her. But I'm also a very concise writer. I'm actually not, a, a, like I tend to write really succinctly. And so these really appeal to that part of me. Mm-hmm. I get to say the really important things that I would like folks to know. And even then I, I've missed things because I knew I couldn't fit. Like if I was gonna add in the one other thing about Aphrodite or about Iris, that was gonna open up a whole thing and then I would be over my word count and then you know things would happen so. mm-hmm. well I think it, it it's great it, the reading the book myself it's the perfect introduction to yeah as you said go and explore more whet your appetite it would be a great way if someone is interested in learning about deities and figuring out which ones for them read a few of these because they're quick they're easy and mm-hmm. you can you know you're not jumping right into a very deep tome on something that might not be for you right? Yeah. So it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's succinct and to the point. I think that is, that's good. That is what we need. That is a great way to learn. I think it's a great, yeah, it's like any relationship, just like find out enough, like here are the basics. Here are some things. Mm-hmm. So God, the goddess Iris specifically, mm-hmm. um, just being the fact that I've just read your book, which by the way, uh, if anyone hasn't seen the front cover of it, it is stunning. It's one of my favorite book covers. Even my mom was like, oh my gosh, that book looks beautiful. Can I read it? I'm like, I don't know if it's for you, mom. <laughs> you can, <laughs> I don't think you'd mm-hmm. like it, but um, she's not 
witchy. She she's supportive, but she's not <laughs> witchy. Um, however, I'm definitely taking this to my hairstylist to be like, uh, pretty sure I need you to replicate this. It has uh, the back of someone's head with beautiful like rainbow curly updo. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So everybody asked me if it's me. <laughs> And <laughs> I would love to tell you that it is. It is not. Uh, I have a big back full of tattoos. And so uh, it's not. And I'm going to replicate it, um, but I just haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's beautiful. It looks, it's very beautiful and light. And I think that is also the theme of the book as well, how it feels. And I've mentioned this in my book review so if you haven't read the book review this will be new to you but on page one of the book you say I invite you to consider the places rainbows have already shown up for you and this is because Iris is the goddess of the rainbow when I tell you I literally I cried I started sobbing into my cup of tea at the first page of this book Mm -hmm. because my nana passed away earlier this year um, just a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and on the day of her funeral we went to the burial and we all were putting the you know handful of dirt onto the grave and at the first handful the heavens opened up and the rains poured down and my father said oh she's just being dramatic <laughs> my <laughs> my grandfather said oh I think she wants to to keep us here a bit longer and I said no 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 she she wants a rainbow knowing my nana and I was very very close with her and anyway, about 10 minutes later, we'd all finished and, you know, the skies cleared up and we got a rainbow. And so when you said this, it was like that instant memory that popped into my brain of that beautiful rainbow. And her favorite story in the Bible was Noah's Ark, which is you know, about a rainbow and it shows hope and that everything's going to be okay. So I took that message from that moment and it was a really beautiful reminder when I read that in your book as well. So thank you. That was beautiful. Glad. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, that's how she introduced herself to me. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about Iris and what she represents uh, aside from just the rainbow itself? What else does she yeah. represent? Yeah. So Iris is what is considered uh, a lesser deity in the Greek pantheon, um, minor deity. She is the messenger of the gods and she is basically, we could say, the handmaiden, servant, errand runner of the gods. So she's this person or the deity that, yeah, we have a relationship I keep calling persons. Uh, she is the one that when Zeus has something to tell somebody, when Hera has something to tell somebody, Iris gets that message and has to go run off with her wingness and her wings and go fly off to tell whomever the message is for, here's what they're saying, here's what the gods want you to know. She's the messenger of the gods, but she's also, um, there's a lot of other things that she is. And these are the things that I want folks to know because they're really small little sections of stories. She's also um, the one who is able to travel between the worlds. This is not something all gods can do. She is able to travel down to the underworld, to the river Styx, She is able to go down there. She has this beautiful picture. The name escapes me in this moment, but she can take a pitcher and fill this pitcher with water from the river Styx and then bring it up when all the gods are making oaths and promises and things like that. And they all have to drink that when they swear these promises. And if 
they don't follow through, then they will all go to sleep or other bad things will happen. So she's also this holder of something really sacred. Other folks have said that she is somebody who can relay messages to humans. One thing that I saw once before I had aspected her in a ritual is that she sometimes arrives to give messages to humans in a form that they would understand. Because a big winged creature coming down on earth is probably not the thing that would make a lot of sense um, when the gods are trying to get you a message. So she's kind of the errand person service, um, very service oriented. That's what I take away from her that she is, you know, she's always running around for other folks. And so for me, that touched me not only for the communication and bringing down messages of the gods, but also the service to community that I do and the service that anybody can do and I invite them to do. Another thing that I want to, that I didn't touch on the book, so we're going to say this um, in this moment, is that I talked about her going down to the underworld. She's also, um, because of that, she's a psychopomp. So she also helps people um, go to the places that they go after they die. Mm. That's why you see um, a lot of stories of irises being planted on burial grounds. Um, so not only are irises apparently very resilient, um, they are, they don't need a lot of water. I just read that today. And, but that's why they're on those burial mounds a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. And I'm actually taking away some big personal things as you're speaking as well, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love when that happens and you're like getting personal messages, which obviously yeah. it's what you're here to do. Hey, back oh. to your Gemini rising. <laughs> well, I would also say my name is Iris Anya. And so yep. messenger of the gods is sort of a thing. Here to share I a message. I love yes. that. I love yep. that. And I think, oh, Devin Hunter. Devin Hunter said something once on one of his podcast episodes. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, when people say things that just sticks with you. Yes, he said that when working with deities, you often take on almost like some of the characteristics or traits of the deity that you're working with. And I remember sitting there, and again, this is before I'd worked with any deities, and I thought, hmm, I used to work with obviously the Christian God who uh, <laughs> very stubborn, um, very wrathful and vengeful, and looking at the church and how the church reacts as a whole to a lot of things can be very stubborn in their views very wrathful and vengeful lots of anger there mm, very judgmental he's a very judgmental god and i was like this is starting to track <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> no offense to any christian which is out there or christians in general like nothing against christians is just looking at things and i'm sure you know if you were dedicating yourself to loki i'm sure you'd have maybe some trickster prankster habits that start to emerge or, you know, things like that. So I think that's another thing we need to be cautious and careful of when we're choosing who we want to work with, because some of those aspects may come through us. Often. Often. Yes, it's very true. <laughs> yeah. But I say, you know, Iris, there's so little written about her. And so, because she's just, again, she's like this minor being um, in other people's eyes, not mine. Um, but one of the things like, but she's also in some of the greatest, like some of the biggest myths 
I mean, she's the one that Zeus is like, you need to talk to Demeter <laughs> because Demeter has laid the entire world into winter and barren because Persephone is gone. You need to talk to her and tell her to stop that. <laughs> and so Iris is the one who has to go down and do that. And I can't imagine that. Also, Demeter says, tough. And so it's a really, it's a thankless job too. To I sort actually of, really hmm. loved that you, in the book, brought all those little stories into it because it was fascinating. I'm probably not someone who's going to go and read all the Greek myths to learn all about them, whilst it would be fascinating. I, it's not what I want to do right now. But reading just the sections that relate to Iris was so useful. I like having it all in one little place. That was great. Mm -hmm. yep. Secondly, I've only ever read that word before and I always thought it was Demeter. So I've heard it both ways. Okay, good. <laughs> so I've worked with, so the last time I did the story of Demeter and Persephone was actually in Australia. <laughs> and so I think that that is the Australian pronunciation. I used to live in North America. Uh -huh. in Canada uh, okay. for a couple of years and more than 50% of my clients are from the United States. Uh, most people will notice most of my interviews are with people from the United States as well. Uh -huh. So I'm talking with a lot of people from North America and every now and then I'll say things and my husband's like, what, why are you saying it like that? I'm like, I don't know. Is that not the Australian way? Is that a different way? Am I, what am I doing? And I get so confused with like mm -hmm. words like albino or albino, which is what am I supposed to say? I don't know. It's gotten to the point I've questioned it so many times. I don't yes. know what's right and wrong anymore. <laughs> well, that was, that's always my concern when I'm talking with, like, I have a lot of friends in Australia. And so I'm talking with them and I'm like, am I mocking you or am I saying this correctly? <laughs> so I feel, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I yeah. thankfully and, they love me. Yeah. yeah. I, I get the same. I get the exact same feeling. It's so funny. <laughs> and same as well. Like I write a lot of things, right. And there are different spellings in the United States and Australia. We use S where the States uses a Z or a Z, Z or Z. I don't know which one's Australian anymore. Um, mm. And again, I write things. And I'm like, now, if the Americans read this, are they going to think I'm silly for not writing it correctly? Not understanding that Australians write it differently. Or do I write it in the North American way? And then all the Aussies are going to be like, what is she doing? Is she trying to be American? <laughs> Way overthinking everything. <laughs> yeah. My publisher's in the UK, so I don't know how they've let yeah. me do a lot of the things that I've done. <laughs> so I have not changed. I'm like, I know how to do that too, but I will inevitably screw it up. <laughs> it's very <laughs> complex and I'm excited. I'm actually going to get into a lot of language talks next, my next episode, I'm going to be filming with Storm Fairy Wolf, which is going to be all about the witch's yeah. name and language and history around that. I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. Very excited. Be. Now you just mentioned before as well, aspecting, mm -hmm. which is something you touch on in your book. And it's not something that you read of frequently in books. And then again, there aren't a lot of, well, there are a few, but there's not a lot of books that are specifically on working with deities. Mm -hmm. So in terms of aspecting, can you explain what that is and whether or not it's safe to do as well? Yes, I can explain my version of it. So I learned aspecting through reclaiming, which is a tradition of witchcraft um, started by Starhawk and a bunch of other folks. Um, so aspecting is possessory work at its core. And so there are plenty of other traditions, cultures who have done this work um, for much longer than reclaiming. So I just wanna honor that first of all. 
And then I want to say that aspecting is for me, one of the, I don't want to say the best, but one of the most intimate practices that I do with deity. And that is offering my body as a vessel for that deity to come in and see the world, hopefully say things, share things and experience this time right now. So to explain aspecting, I have to slightly teach it. <laughs> so I have taught this before, I've done this many times. So here's what aspecting looks like in my tradition. It looks like it's a couple different ways. If I were to aspect Iris, I would personally take a breath in and then sort of crunch up all the little parts of me that are me. And then when I breathe out, I would push them down and sort of make a space in my body for deity to come in. And then there would be some process, I'm gonna keep a little bit this mysterious, there'd be some process of invoking Iris and invoking her into my body, whether that's through an invocation, whether that's through like certain words that folks might use um, and sort of invite that into this body. Um, usually there is somebody who is sort of taking in the divine and someone who is doing like helping to facilitate that. Like you can also do it on your own. I would say with practice, I would say not. That is intermediate to advanced level. I will get back to beginner. Inviting in Iris. And so she sort of fills the spaces that I've said are okay to fill. So I might not have crunched up my entire consciousness. I probably only crunched up part of it because I actually don't like it when I'm in aspecting deities and they suddenly want to run. And that is not my biggest joy. So um, we don't do that. So that's the gist of it is basically like inviting in deity and sort of allowing them to use your body for a hot minute. And there's usually somebody with you that is a tender that makes sure that you're safe, make sure that this body is safe. And then this body is only doing the things that I've agreed to do. Because in an ideal world, you would start off this whole thing by saying, okay, Iris, I'm really excited to have you. And these are the things that we're agreeing to. Because mm -hmm. it's like a relationship. You cannot have me run all over the place. I do not jump into fires. I do not, you know, things like that. It sounds silly, but we could have a whole conversation about deities gone wild. Sounds like a really good show. <laughs> it, is, it would actually be amazing. So. Deities gone wild. <laughs> so save that. Um, <laughs> But at its core, aspecting doesn't have to be that. Like this sounds real grand maybe to some folks, maybe other folks are like, yeah, I do that all day. But that's more of the grand version of it. You know, the deity comes in and then they stay for a while. Maybe folks ask questions. Maybe you just feel into what's going on and then you ask them to leave because body trumps spirit, gods don't get to stick around in my tradition. Mm -hmm. If you just wanna do, not just, if you want to do a lighter form of that in order to work with the deity and really get to feel them in your body, there's a couple different ways to do that too that are a little bit not as, not as intense. Mm -hmm. So in my tradition, we often say that there are different levels of engagement. There is inspiration, 
So a very light, like um, really light snow. And something that might be a little bit more intense, which is, you know, 50% of you is kind of, you know, um, filled with spirit and then other percentages. Say you just wanna to get to know a deity and just a little inspiration. Here's what I would do. I would either find an invocation or come up with one or just have to say something really lovely and beautiful to a deity to, let's say, uh, I'm not gonna do it in this moment, but like to some sort of um, statuary, some sort of picture something like that, a piece of jewelry, a shell, whoever your deity is. And I would sort of say that into that item to sort of welcome a, a little touch of spirit into that item. And then I would hold that item. And then I would feel that energy and sort of sit with that energy. And this is called object aspecting. So sort of feeling into that for a little while until you're done. And then with object aspecting, put the object down and you're separate from it. Mm. So it becomes a, a little bit more of an on-off experience. Is this something you could do, for example, if you purchase a statue to represent your deity? Could mm -hmm. you invite them into that statue and then like leave that open welcome into the statue as a permanent fixture? You could do that. I think that I would have that as an invitation, but not an expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the gods don't want to stay in something. Uh, that's up to them too. It is consensual. Uh, but I think that that's a real simple way for folks who might just want to try a little bit. Um, but in terms of aspecting, um, maybe a little bit, as I said before, the sort of inviting in and clearing out of yourself and all of that, that is something that's better done um, in a coven situation where you can sort of track each other where there are folks who can say, okay, you're done now. And where there's somebody who can say, all right, thanks, Iris, thanks, whomever, thanks so much for being here, but it's time to go. Um, because there are ways in which you need to be super sure of who you are before you can invite something else in. Mm. I can imagine some folks out there might be wondering, how do you know for sure that you're going to get the deity and not something else? It's always a good question. I mean, a lot of aspecting, especially when you do it in the beginning, feels like you're faking it. Because to a certain extent, you know, magic is imagination. And it is suspending disbelief, right? So one of the things I think I, I hear that because that question comes up a lot. What if something really horrible happens? Mm. Most of the time, that is never going to happen. It is, I think, a really negative byproduct of the way witchcraft is shown in the mm. media. Yeah, it, It's always shown like things can go horribly wrong. <laughs> it's like, so I go back to my phrase about body trump spirit. If something is there that doesn't seem like it's cool, even if you don't have a name for it. Thank you so much for being here, but it's time to go. The other question I'm, I'm thinking may be relevant as well. What if somebody has a, a mental illness or a history of mental mm -hmm. illness? Is mm -hmm. this something that they should stay clear from? I never like to tell people to not do things, but I hear the, I hear the rationale on that question. 
So here's what I would say. If you can have, if you have a good grounding practice, if you are someone who has tools of, um, I'm trying to think of the word that we would use, a safe space tool, there are certain tools that you can use with, I have mental health conditions. So here's what I would say. Like if you have grounding practices, if you have ways that you know how to come back to yourself when things get triggery, um, when things get heightened, if you have those practices and you have used them very successfully for a while, you have used them probably in the presence of a mental health professional, I would say you're probably going to be okay because um, you do have ways to come back. I think that's the trick. It's not um, the experience itself. It's the coming back because it is, from my own experience, a whole heck of a lot of fun to have a deity uh, hanging out inside of you. It's fun. It feels good often, not always. Some gods, not so much. Very fascinating. The whole topic I find extremely fascinating and hopefully something that I maybe dip my toes into at some point. Yeah, it's, it requires a lot more than what I just said. Yeah, but thank you very much for explaining it, uh, potentially, you know, inspiring someone to look deeper into it as well. Peaking so, interest, that's my yeah. job. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with everyone listening. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, so I seem to be a little bit of everywhere, but the best part, the best place to find me is actually at my website, which is myname.com. So irisanyamoon.com. I have a ton of classes all the time, things that I'm doing, things that places I might be. I also, if you keep scrolling down that first page, I have a newsletter, which comes out every new moon-ish which will have a lot of things in there, usually has links to things that I've done. I try to put things in there first so that folks can see that. I'm also all over social media for better or for worse. And I am bumbling around a TikTok. So that's fun too. Uh, if you wanna see me embarrass myself, that's cool. Uh, that's fun. But basically I'm online a lot. I'm really easy to find uh, no other Iris Anyas yet. Perfect. I will put a link to your website in the show notes as well. And just a note on newsletters as well. I just want to let everyone know there are, and I'm sure everyone's seen it. And maybe when this comes out, it won't be so much of a hot topic, but ugh, I doubt it. Uh, impersonators on Instagram, especially, and sometimes on TikTok are rife at the moment with the spiritual and wellness communities. So impersonating, trying to scam people. And I'm starting to get worried that people are going to accidentally report my account as well. So mm -hmm. I do think signing up to content creators, newsletters that you love is one of the best things you can do, because if that Instagram account gets taken down accidentally, um, or if they do need to make up a backup account for whatever reason, Usually they don't, but if they do, they'll put it in their newsletter and you know that it's coming from them. It's far less likely to be hacked and it's something that they own. So if there's someone you like, admire and want to follow, jump on their newsletter. It's the best way you can support them. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, social media has become quite fascinating. Yes. It's a little dicey <laughs> out there. <laughs> so oh, as always, yeah. I'll, I'll put all the links in the, the show notes for this episode. As I said, uh, make sure to follow us on the podcast Instagram page, which is at 
Witch Talks podcast. And mm-hmm. if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot via a DM or even an email to suburbanwitchery at gmail.com, you will receive a free chakra checkup from yours truly just to incentivize you as reviews really, really help a lot. If you do love the podcast, share with a friend or on social media, that would also be super amazing. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss one of our episodes. And as always, I hope you have a lovely day wherever you're listening in the world today. Thank you so much for lending me your ears today. And I hope you got as much wisdom out of this episode as I did when we were recording it. Now, at the time of this episode airing, I actually have the doors to my course, The Art of Psychic Divination, open for students once more. This will likely be the last time for 2022. So if you want to jump on board and learn from me, then all you need to do is click the link in the description box below. But don't sit on this because I am actually closing the doors on August 21st, 2022. So I'd love to have you on board and get to know you a little bit better and help you to become so much more in tune with not only yourself, but the world around you as well. Can't wait to see you there.